0: Welcome to this Medical Minute. This is module 10 on treatment of opioid use disorder. Today I'm going to talk about non-pharmacologic and pharmacologic approaches for treatment of opioid use disorder. My name is Michael Weaver. This activity is supported by an independent educational grant from the opioid analgesic REMS program companies. This training is provided by Clinical Care Options and in partnership with the American Academy of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation, the Practicing Clinician's Exchange, and PRO-CE. So for learning objectives, we're going to talk about identifying and appropriately managing patients who have opioid use disorder. Previous video focused on screening as well as identification for opioid use disorder. Today, we're going to talk about managing an identified disease of opioid use disorder. So let's talk about long-term treatment of opioid use disorder, not just the uh, short-term withdrawal management acutely. We really want to approach this as a chronic condition. There may not be a cure available, but it can be managed appropriately long-term. Treatment generally exists on a continuum of different modalities. Often, the first phase of treatment is withdrawal management for the opioid withdrawal syndrome uh, and any other co-occurring withdrawal syndromes from other substances that the patient may have been using. Typically, outpatient counseling is the most common modality, either individual or group. And there can also be mutual support groups, such as narcotics anonymous or self-management and recovery training, also known as SMART recovery, uh, that patients can participate in. And we'll talk about those, Uh, as well as medications specific for treatment of opioid use disorder. In terms of settings, outpatient can be delivered in an intensive outpatient program which is multiple sessions throughout the day for several hours a day, several days a week, often orchestrated around a patient's work or school schedule. There's inpatient treatment, which includes a medical monitoring or management component, and then residential programs, which can last anywhere from a few weeks to several months or even longer. In terms of the addiction counseling that's provided in inpatient as well as outpatient venues, There are a whole host of different approaches that can be used. These have all been looked at primarily through studies by the National Institute on Drug Abuse and have found to be effective in a variety of patient populations. I mentioned that there are mutual support groups, uh, including 12 step groups like Narcotics Anonymous, and these can be a great resource to utilize in any community for providers uh, as additional means of support for their patients. Narcotics Anonymous evolved from Alcoholics Anonymous. These are groups that meet together usually for an hour once a week. And in most locations, you can find different meetings going on at different times of the day on different days of the week. As the name suggests, they are anonymous. People just give their first name. doesn't always have to be their real first name. There's no cost to participate, simply a desire to stop using substances. And there are no affiliations or endorsements by any of the groups. They are all individual. And the groups have different characteristics depending on who the regular attenders are. Uh, And so if someone goes to a group and finds that they don't quite fit in, I encourage them to find another group and attend that uh, so that they can see if it's a better fit based on the folks that are attending there. As you can see, the 12 steps are listed here and is a progressive way to address and to manage a substance use disorder. So this can be a valuable resource for patients to take advantage of. It doesn't necessarily work for everyone, but it can certainly be helpful for many patients and has been shown to be so. Let's talk a little bit about medications. So medications used as long-term pharmacotherapy for opioid use disorder tend to have an indefinite endpoint. They can be utilized successfully for anywhere from several months to many years, but are usually not the entire remaining lifetime of the individual. But that luxury of time can be very valuable because for some patients, it can take a long time to unlearn the kind of maladaptive behaviors that were successful when they were using illicit substances, especially opioids, but that are not quite so good when they are entering recovery. Longer time on medication for addiction treatment often means more time for full stabilization to be successful in recovery. This includes different elements, such as the establishment of a good recovery support system consisting of family members, friends, or other healthcare professionals. Development of coping skills is very important for dealing with life on life's terms in recovery without turning to substances. Employment that is gainful and appropriate can be an important part of recovery, along with basics like stable housing and working on appropriate parenting skills. Good citizenship often consists of having appropriate interactions with other individuals, as well as avoiding negative contacts with the criminal justice system. Medications that are typically used for opioid use disorder include antagonists such as naltrexone and agonists such as methadone or buprenorphine. Naltrexone is an antagonist that blocks opioid receptors, primarily mu opioid receptors. Therefore, if someone uses another opioid while they are taking naltrexone regularly, the effects of that opioid will be blocked and the person will not experience euphoria, or other typical opioid effects. In addition, naltrexone can be helpful at reducing cravings for opioids. It is provided in several forms, either an oral tablet taken once daily or an intramuscular injection taken monthly and provided by a physician or a nurse uh, in an office setting. Naltrexone as an antagonist is not useful for treating acute withdrawal. So if someone is in withdrawal, or they are still uh, using opioids actively and have physical and pharmacologic dependence on those opioids, then you can't start with naltrexone. You need to use a new opioid agonist, such as methadone or buprenorphine, and taper them off and allow a washout period of at least seven days before starting a medication like naltrexone. Otherwise, You can precipitate a withdrawal syndrome due to the opioid antagonist effects of naltrexone. It's also important to keep in mind that it requires motivation to take naltrexone because it's not treating withdrawal or not providing actual opioid effects as an antagonist. uh, It can be something that patients may not see as providing a positive, uh, but just simply preventing a negative outcome of using illegal opioids. So it has to be taken to be effective, and it's less effective if doses are missed. Uh, So it requires motivation to show up for that visit once a month for the injection or to take a pill every day. This tends to be better if it is monitored by a spouse or an employer uh, or even a judge or a probation officer. Methadone is one of the agonists therapies that is available for long-term treatment and one of the oldest that we have. Uh, It is a full agonist at new opioid receptors and so is used as substitution therapy because it is an opioid itself. It takes the place of illegal opioids and as a result will prevent withdrawal symptoms, prevent cravings for other opioids, and if a patient is on an appropriate dose, they're not going to get additional euphoric effects from taking other opioids because they're already maxed out on a dose of an opioid that matches their tolerance for opioids. It's primarily taken orally and comes in different forms as tablets or a liquid, but it must be given for treatment of opioid use disorder in a federally licensed narcotic treatment program, typically known as a method and maintenance clinic. According to federal regulations, also will provide additional services such as counseling and social services, and even some medical services on site. And that can be useful as a form of one-stop shopping for patients who are enrolled on a methadone maintenance program. Because it's a full mu opioid agonist, it does have the same side effects and other adverse effects of other opioids, and overdose is a risk. This is one of the reasons why it is federally regulated and why it is restricted to methadone maintenance programs. It is actually less restricted when prescribed for pain management as a Schedule II substance, and sometimes it can be used for purposes of both, but this requires very careful documentation. And if you are referring for methadone maintenance, then the patient would transition their treatment from pain management or from use of illicit substances to the methadone maintenance program to primarily Meet those needs for treatment of the opioid use disorder. It's good to remember that, as an opioid agonist, methadone can cause problems when administered concurrently with other sedating medications like alcohol or benzodiazepines. Uh, And so, it's worthwhile to counsel our patients about this uh, and also to monitor if they are prescribed benzodiazepines or if they have regular use of alcoholic beverages. Puprenorphine is an alternative to methadone for treatment of opioid use disorder. It's different from methadone in that it is not a full mu-opioid agonist, but it is a partial opioid agonist. It's similar in that it does last all day, so it is also similarly once-a-day dosing like methadone, but it is not restricted to methadone maintenance program. As a partial agonist, it will Activate opioid receptors, but not activate them as fully as something like methadone or illicit opioids like heroin. Uh, Instead of 100% activation, it's closer to 40% activation. This can be very useful for treatment of opioid withdrawal, especially if a patient is already in withdrawal. 40% improvement feels pretty good and is very helpful uh, and can be easier to ultimately come off of this kind of medication. However, because a patient who is using full mu opioid agonists uh, has pharmacologic tolerance to those full muopioid agonists, starting buprenorphine can be tricky. Um, so it's important to have a brief washout period uh, before starting buprenorphine because going from 100% activation from another full mu opioid agonist to 40% activation with buprenorphine can precipitate withdrawal symptoms and be very uncomfortable for the patient. In addition, because it's a partial agonist, it may not fully relieve all the withdrawal symptoms or cravings of patients who are on high doses of other full mu opioid agonists, either because they have access to high doses of prescription opioids or they have access to high potency opioids like fentanyl or access to very pure heroin and so there's what we call a ceiling effect where you may max out the effect of buprenorphine before alleviating all of the withdrawal symptoms or cravings in which case methadone may be a better alternative for some of those patients. Uh, however, buprenorphine does have other advantages compared to methadone because it is less restricted. That's due to the safety in terms of less of a risk of an opioid overdose uh, because of the partial agonist activity. Buprenorphine comes in a number of different preparations. Typically, it is given sublingually and is available as a film or tablet for that purpose. Often that preparation is combined with naloxone, an opioid antagonist similar to naltrexone, uh, and that will help to prevent tampering by causing a withdrawal syndrome if somebody tries to uh, inject buprenorphine to get it to work faster or cause more of a euphoric effect. Instead, they will get the opposite of the effect they're looking for, and so that's a deterrent to misuse of buprenorphine when prescribed therapeutically. Buprenorphine is also available as a subcutaneous injection in a long-acting preparation, and this is given monthly by a physician or a nurse in a healthcare setting because it is a controlled substance. As with methadone, because buprenorphine is an opioid, It can cause problems when given in conjunction with other sedatives. So, patients who are prescribed benzodiazepine or those who are using alcohol regularly should be cautioned about this. In addition, buprenorphine can be prescribed for only a limited number of patients, up to 30, uh, by prescribers who are physicians or nurse practitioners that have a DEA license to prescribe controlled substances. For larger numbers of patients, the prescriber would need to have additional training and receive waiver from the Department of Health and Human Services in order to use buprenorphine for treatment of opioid use disorder for more than 30 patients. Because of its reduced restricted status, buprenorphine can be given outside of method and maintenance programs in other office settings by prescribers For up to 30 patients, or for more than that, for patients who have applied for and received a waiver from the Department of Health and Human Services. This makes it more convenient for many patients because they can receive a prescription from a prescriber for buprenorphine. They can fill it at a pharmacy that carries it, and they can receive counseling at another site of their time and choice. However, some of the costs of these separate Components of treatment can add up, uh, which is why methadone may sometimes be a better option in terms of cost and the convenience of one-stop, one-site for providing a variety of services. Outpatient visits with buprenorphine can be scheduled as appropriate, usually more frequently initially, and spread out uh, as appropriate for the patient's recovery, whereas with methadone, patients are required to come daily for the first few months. Because of the differences between methadone and buprenorphine, it's worthwhile to talk to patients about their preferences and other limitations in order to be able to choose the most appropriate treatment option for that individual patient. Once a patient has engaged in recovery for an opioid use disorder or other substance use disorders, we as providers can continue to follow them, whether it's for pain management with non-opioid medications or for other general health care. In that case, monitoring for relapse return to opioids or other substance use is going to be important. Uh, this can be done by talking to the patient on a regular basis and uh, at every visit to assess their substance use and non-judgmentally ask them about opioids and other substances that they may have been tempted to use or may have begun to use again inappropriately. Part of the monitoring for relapse can also include clinical observation for signs and symptoms of intoxication or withdrawal. Urine drug testing done randomly can also be very beneficial for determining relapse, but it can be important to know about what tests your laboratory is conducting and how to discuss this with patients in order to give them the benefit of the doubt If there are unexpected results of urine drug tests, it's also worthwhile to get the patient's permission to talk to friends, family members, or other aspects of their recovery support system to get collateral information about how the patient is doing or any concerns that they may have about a return to illicit substance use. So, in summary, long term treatment is available and is known to be effective for opioid use disorder. Medications in conjunction with individual or group counseling are important for helping to ensure complete recovery. Methadone or buprenorphine given through appropriate maintenance programs have been shown in multiple studies to reduce mortality from a variety of causes, as well as reducing crime related to buying expensive black market substances. As well as spread of infections like hepatitis B or C or HIV, as far as public health concerns go. Methadone and buprenorphine are long-term treatments. They are substitution therapy with a full opioid agonist or a partial agonist to eliminate symptoms of withdrawal and cravings for opioids and to minimize effects of use of illicit opioids. The amount of time and the actual dose of either of these medications is determined on an individual case-by-case basis. And these medications, as well as other behavioral treatments for opioid use disorder have been shown to be effective for more than just that disorder, but can help patients to gain appropriate skills for a full recovery. If you'd like additional information about other modules and other videos, please see opioidremseducation.com